Hi, we are the Good Ship Illustration and we run online courses to help illustrators and image makers navigate a creative career. We are Tanya, Katie and Helen. We have about 70 years experience between us, each of us working in a different area of illustration. Welcome to Message in a Bottle, our new podcast answering your questions. You can send your messages to goodshipillo at gmail.com and title it Message in a Bottle so we know what it's about. Welcome to this episode of Message in a Bottle. Today we've got a little, something a little bit different. It's kind of a mixture, a pick and mix of a few different questions. Um, so we'll get stuck straight into the first one. This person asks, how do I know if I'm an illustrator or not? I keep feeling that I'm being pulled in an abstract direction and I don't know what to do with the ideas or the work I produce. Is it more of a fine art thing or could abstract work be applied to illustration? I felt I had a real affinity to this question. Maybe that's because I came from a fine art background and went through a bit of an abstract period as well and not knowing how you could use it. But then I realised that there's a kind of midway point between um, design and illustration and you may fall into that bracket. You know, you're, you're creating textures, you're creating backgrounds. They don't have to be figurative to express um anything specific because the design industry has a great need for these kind of just beautiful stuff you, know, you don't have to be um, having some kind of conceptual idea and illustrating it it's enough that maybe you're developing really luscious textures or you have a great color sensibility and there is a space for that I think you've just got to put them up there and use them yeah, um, and not worry too much about the labels yeah like what you're calling yourself because it could be exactly what people are looking for. Someone commissioned me this week to do something very similar to what you're talking about. They want um, imagery for an app. And if you think about the, the main buttons and fields in any app, they're the same geometric shapes. But they wanted to humanise it. So that could be the shape isn't a rectangle, the shape is offset. Perhaps it has a hand-drawn edge or it's got an interesting colour or it's made of an interesting texture. If you were com commissioned to do that, to cut out some circles and some squares from your lovely textures and scan them in, and then they became the fields within an app or in app design, that is a design activity. So you are probably more of an, um, a des design, design illustrator or somewhere that falls in the middle. Also, it sounds slightly like textiles as well. There's definitely areas in applied and commercial art for what you're doing. And you may not be able to at this point name it, but put the work up there and get it seen. Yeah, I imagine if you put that on a website, a beautiful folio full of abstract work, you'll find out who your clients are, won't you? Yeah. You might have clients from a few different areas of illustration. But I would put it out, I wouldn't try and change. If that's what's really exciting, yes, then make yes. the best work you can like that and put it on your website. Yeah, if it feels good, keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Would you say, you say next, when I'm not thinking of abstract images, the main thing that's appealing to me is lettering. The main issue is what can I do with my lettering work? I have no training or knowledge of graphic design, so what else is out there for colourful, sometimes weirdly shaped and layered text? That is a huge market. There's so many people whose entire career consists of lettering and hand lettering. So if you were to Google hand lettering, hand, hand script or hand letter lettering, illustrators, you'll find there's a massive field there waiting for you. I mean, someone like Marion Duchas is a good um, uh, example to show how just the very simple 
pencil lettering that she did in the early 80s, which to talk about it now is really unremarkable because it's everywhere. But it's only everywhere because everyone copied Marion's pencil lettering at that time because no one had ever seen anything so informal and natural, just like the scribbles that you would you would do while you were doodling on the phone, except that it was, you know, hand typography. And a large part of her career has been um, being commissioned for her lettering. So, yeah, it's a huge market. Go and have a look and you'll feel, well, hopefully you'll realise you're already there. You're doing what you need mm. to do. It's just a matter of showcasing it. I'm thinking of some examples. There's Johnny Hannah. There's some great yes. book covers that are all hand-drawn typography. And what's he called? Rob Ryan. Rob Ryan. Yeah. Rob yeah. Ryan. He does a lot of typography, lots of book covers. He did the famous Louis de Bernier one. Yes. There are some brilliant illustrators who do text, aren't there? I feel like yeah. in, in America, littering is a huge thing, isn't mm. it? I can't think of any names <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> but there are lots of them. You're nine months pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> People who draw pictures, you know. <laughs> I've seen it on the internet. <laughs> I could get a job doing that. <laughs> but there again, I'm not pregnant and I can't think of another no, letter. We've no. got our favourites. And in fact, Johnny, Hannah and Marion are on our Fly Your Freak Flag course talking mm. about what they do and how they came to do it. So it's uh, that could be a, a place to look. Yeah. Um, the next question. This one says, it's a question about the gap between what you want to make and what you do make. So we often call Ira Glasses quote on the gap between what you're making and the fact that you've got really good taste maybe we'll, po we'll post that quote in mm. the description save me it's on the, along the lines of when you're starting out you want to be an artist or an illustrator or a writer or whatever because you have really good taste and you want to attain that you want to get up to that level but when you start out you don't have it yet and so there's yeah. a gap isn't there yes um so this question asker says um the gap between what you want to make and what you do make, about making work you're disappointed in, about finding your style, about doing the work that comes easily. Do you have to fall in love with or accept the work that comes most easily? Do you just have to learn to like it or will it change? And can you cha can you edge your work closer to work that you like without feeling dishonest? <laughs> well, there's so many. This is such an interesting question mm -hmm. because there's a lot of moral and ethical stuff in there about integrity and yeah, you look at work you really like and there is a point where the electric fence will go off if you get any closer to copying them. And, you know, we always talk about, you say, Helen, trying the hat on. Mm. Sometimes you can try someone's hat on privately, mm. you know, for a week. Briefly. Yeah. yeah, and don't put it out there and try and sell your work. But mm. you're going through the motions to find out how that person used line or how they combine texture and, and colour. And that's a good activity to go through and discover it. But... Yeah, I think that finding your own way is ultimately the goal, isn't it? You can't. I, I find it interesting because I'm thinking, like, is the work she's making lovely, but it only takes her a few minutes and she, so she can't imagine it as a final illustration? Or are her skills just not up to the place she wants it to be yet? I think she's asking that. Is she supposed to just accept it how it is? I think if you're not naturally enjoying your work and it's not how you want it to be, you should just keep going until you get there. I mean, we, we all make so much bad work, don't we? Mm. Millions and millions of bad drawings between the good ones. And I would say just keep going and keep going. And then suddenly you're going to do one you like. And that's going to make you happy for a week. And then look at that, stare at it, work out what you like about it and try for it again. 
Yes. Um, yeah, it's like using that as motivation to get mm. to keep improving your skills and getting closer to the work you like, mm. rather than resigning yourself to be like, I'm going to hate my work forever. Might as well get used to this. Mm. Mm. And also, it comes down to your self-esteem as well. You are maybe painting yourself here as a beginner who's making work that's not great, but perhaps other people around you think the work is amazing, but you think, oh, I'm really not that good. And is it your feeling about your own confidence that needs to change or your own worth? Or are you genuinely saying, it's not that great because I'm at the beginning and I probably do need to keep working? And the only way it does improve, really, isn't it, is challenging yourself and continuing to work because I find that I don't make things that often that I go, wow, I just did that. But it happens. It's guaranteed. Every month or so, you'll do one small thing that makes Mm. you think, that's all right. Yeah. Yeah, That's really good. That's great when that happens. Yeah. Maybe people think that when you're beginning, when you get to wherever there is, you're just making a constant flow of fabulous Consistently yeah. brilliant. Well, oh, sure, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. No. Also, I think the client or whoever the work's for, their bar is always set a bit lower than your own. Like, yeah. So I know for me with my live illustration, graphic recording stuff, sometimes, well, a lot of the time, I don't really like the work, but it's very practical. It's for a reason. It takes all the boxes that they want and they're like blown away so happy with it and I'm like you're fitting the brief exactly because they want you to record their recording you're doing it live you're doing it really quick it's a bit like art club when we did live art club isn't it yeah you're just reacting immediately and what comes out comes out and so that is perfect that's what they need yeah but then if it was like my private practice like painting and drawing at home I would probably do well I would do very different work like my art club work is completely Mm. different to my work work Mm. and I have sort of made peace with that Mm. So if if that is the sort of gap you're describing, maybe it is mm. good to make peace with where you are. Mm. If it, yeah, because if working. the work you do, the commissioned work, is accepted, you are doing a good job, and as an illustrator, that is what you're you're there to do. As an artist who's learning to please themselves or feel excited about your own creative potential, that's to be done in a different place. But you know, it it is work, and as long as your work is consistent and what you provide to your client consistently matches the work in your portfolio then you're doing well yeah Mm. Yeah. they're happy i'm happy Mm. there's that thing about there's a phrase but i can't remember it but it's about um you do the best you can within your talents and the tools and the time that you have yeah and so whatever you do with your talent your tools that amount of time that's what you do you do your best in that and the results whatever they are that's yeah. that's it you can only do that yeah you can't expect more of yourself than that that's quite comforting especially mm. for those inclined to beat themselves up constantly about work and i think we all it, it takes a long while to get past that um self-sabotaging thing of oh you're rubbish that's not good enough but, but like you say you have to accept that you, you've got to stop work after a certain time you can't be going on forever and sometimes without a job you can work on something till you absolutely kill it or you could you think you've got so long to work on it that you could continually improve it, but yeah, in a commercial setting, yeah, you've just got to accept, and you sometimes internalize that as a three day job. You know exactly what that looks like and how much you can do, so you don't keep saying I could do more. It could be better. Mm. Yeah. Actually, that's worth talking about, like from a mental health perspective. Yeah. Like beating yourself up and telling yourself how rubbish you are is never gonna get better results than being like. I'm doing my best. I'm doing a little bit every day. I'm topping up the tank of like mm. my drawing practice. 
Because if you just beat yourself up all the time, you just feel rubbish about it and don't want to carry on. Mm. I, I think at our college, that was a mindset we were all assumed to buy into. I think I paid subscriptions to that, didn't <laughs> everyone else? Tuition fee covers that. Go along for a Friday night self-beating what up. What do you call that? This is terrible. <laughs> Rip it up and try it again. I, I think it's because our old art teacher, the famous Mr Newby, God bless him, he used to, if you put a black outline around any anything you drew with colour, he would take it and hold it under the tap and run water <gasps> Oh in front God. of the whole art class, which is why in colour theory workshops, I was like, don't put any black in your picture. You've made all those lovely colours and now you added the black. Give it here, I'll put it under the tap for you. <laughs> but he was right. I look back and I think, and he used to say things like, the black has just killed all the lovely colours you've made. You don't do that. And you don't outline things, which is also why I don't draw in line. Think Mr. Newby lives inside me. I agree with him about not outlining things in black because <laughs> I, I like to use a dip pen and ink, but I always put my colour down first and then the line goes on after. Because if you put your line down first, you end up colouring in and there's yeah. nothing worse. Oh, don't kill us. Kill an image yeah. dead. Yeah. Yeah, if there's one takeaway from here, don't colour in a black. <laughs> you want some rules? We've got some rules. It's on the one occasion where we've all agreed and found a good solid rule that doesn't yeah. include it depends. Or if you want to like, beat yourself up, we could record a podcast episode where it's just us saying horrible things about you. <laughs> <laughs> you call that an illustration. <laughs> there's, a, there's probably a market for BDSM illustration tuition. <laughs> <laughs> so how the the next one uh how do you achieve this oh Sorry. this is the good one that people always ask me <coughs> we always ask this how do you achieve that same energy and excitement in drawings for illustration i.e imaginative drawings i mean how do you balance the energy with the more finished drawing is it about timing is it about the same timing and material constraints I enjoy spending ages on some drawings and putting in lots of decorative detail, but it can make my images look ploddy. Is that a word? <laughs> we can, we'll, we'll use it. And I'd like to achieve the same energy as I have with my 15-minute observational stuff. Does that make sense? Mm. Ah. I mean, if you're working that long on something in decorative detail, yeah, you just you can really clog up a drawing so that there's no space, there's no light, no balance, no contrast, no energy. What is it you call it? Noodling. Noodling, yeah. Noodling is the We did an art club on noodling and it was actually really good. <laughs> Just to disprove my point. <laughs> I think if you intentionally noodle, you can get something really interesting. I mean, wasn't Surah just a tonal nude? Yeah. Just rubbing the, the graphite over the paper for ages. Or Surah, that's kind of a sort of noodling. Mm. But it's knowing the balance, isn't it? How much your image can take. It's that thing, I think, of when you get a commission. If you, if you get a commission and you're being paid money, you think, oh, well, I better make sure it takes as long as it can <laughs> so that it looks like it's worth it. I must work and as hard as possible <laughs> to earn it. Until I'm suffering and I can't bear it anymore and then it's finished. Yeah. Or just put lots and lots of marks on it so it looks like mar mark to mark. mark. <laughs> It's <laughs> value for money, which are all dreadful ideas. And that goes back to the Marion thing again. At that time, when Marion Duchars was doing pencil, quick pencil drawings or typography and being paid quite handsomely for it, we were all utterly confused. It was like a kind of, you, I can't think of the word. She had a, a sense of her own value and she knew that these design decisions were worth it because it had taken a long while to do something that simple 
with that kind of confidence. And when that was set against beautiful typography or laid in a graphic context, it just looked amazing. But it takes guts to do that. Yeah, it's confidence, isn't it? A lot of it's confidence, I think. Mm. Something small and spontaneous is of complete equal value. But sometimes when you do a rough drawing, you can love the rough drawing. And then you try and make, you use the horrible words, final artwork out of it, and it ruins it. Yeah. So it's like finding some way of keeping all that energy in that first instinctive drawing in the final artwork. There's all sorts of tricks for doing that. Like I, I, um, if I'm not working digitally, if I'm working on paper, I might make a rough drawing that I love, but now I want to take it into colour for a book. And so I'll put the rough drawing on my light box. I put a piece of paper over the top with the light on so I can see the drawing underneath, the rough drawing underneath. But I make sure the light's just right so that I can't see it properly. Because if I can see it absolutely properly, then I can copy it very carefully and then it'll become really laboured and you can see all the careful detail of copying. Um, Whereas if the light isn't turned, if the light is right, I can only just see it. So I'll put my colour down and then I'll do the line over the top and I'm sort of using the rough drawing as a guide, but I've still got all the energy of a brand new drawing. All that new energy is coming through my hand. Um, there's loads of tricks like that, aren't there? There's a Photoshop version, as there always is, there's a digital version of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a digital version. I turn my rough down to very, very, very pale, do all my colour, and then I do the line over the top where I can only just see the line drawing underneath yeah. to keep the energy. But also, if you've, if you've done a thumbnail drawing, like Sarah Dyer's thumbnails, for example, they're very small, and when you are in that unpressure situation of you kind of draw a square inch or something and then fill that little rough in with pencil. You've got a nice fat pencil mark in proportion to the space that you're drawing in. So that takes all the pressure off because you're not having to be very exact. And if you do four or five of those, one of those guaranteed will be the perfect rough. You've got to scan that in, blow it up about 600 times. So if you're going from one inch to a, um, an A5 illustration, yeah, blow that right up in Photoshop and be very... Uh, determined to copy the proportions that you've created in that that rough. Don't try and improve things. So use a thicker brush. Either, um, yeah. I mean, you've got to, the line becomes thick if you're mm. blowing it up that much. Mm. But if I mean, it depends whether you draw with line or, or whether you're just doing color next to color. Mm. But you've just got to not get in there and clean things up too much. Yeah. Stay with those big, bold, broad decisions that you made in a very natural, unpressurised rough. Sometimes you can find ways to use that original rough drawing in the final artwork, scan it in, and then make your art digitally and actually keep that original drawing. Yeah, Yeah, as part of it. Mm. Is it Chris Horton who does that? Yes, I think so. Like his rough's basically the finished thing. Yeah, yeah. he also then he, he said when he was blowing up small roughs and then the edge or the outline of his shapes, you know, you naturally start to get inside them and interfere with them against your, you know, best intentions. And then it gets too cleaned up. So then he was doing collage, like tearing black paper mm. to get, he was looking at his roughs and he was tearing the shape in black paper, but obviously larger because this is final artwork, but still trying to keep the keep himself out of his own way so he couldn't refine it too much but keep that kind of natural instinct towards the show. That reminds me of Louise Lockhart printed Peanut when she decided that she was, so she makes her work with collage, pieces of paper and scissors, some of it is digital. When she'd done quite a lot of digital work she realised that she was getting too good at it and so she had Mm. to find a new obstacle to make it naive again 
So she bought a really big clunky pair of scissors wow. and made work, cut out big pieces of paper so that it had the naivety again. It's brilliant. Yeah, isn't it? You, you can get in your own way, can't you? Yeah. Your sensible brain can jump in and spoil all the instinctive, intuitive stuff. Even though you're, you know, you've got a guard up at the door going, I want this rough, messy line. Don't allow anyone in cleaning it up. The cleaner rushes in with the brush. It's like, oh, look at that messy edge. Let's sort yeah. that. So your brain's in kind of combat with, with each other, trying to keep that human, organic, energetic mark that you know. But like you said, going back to the scale up your tools, I think, yeah, that is the other way of doing it. If you suddenly have to repeat something you've done on a small thumbnail and you're not going to scan it in Photoshop, but you're going to physically draw it again, scale up the tool so the big graphite sticks or fat brushes will do it. Because mm. there's definitely something about the proportion of mark to the size of paper you're working on. Mm. It's like setting your own constraints, isn't it, to make it roughly wobbly, even though it's the finished, I'm using inverted commas, mm. the, it's the finished artwork. Try to trick yourself into forgetting it's finished artwork. Yeah. It's not a thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the um, the sober way of doing it. You know, in the history of art, most people waited till they were drunk to yeah. replicate those passionate, <laughs> you know, uh, unselfconscious paintings. Obviously, we can't possibly allow that <laughs> in, in our commercial lives. So, yeah, you've got to find ways, either blunt scissors or ripping things up or, or dodgy brushes or... What? Opium. <laughs> Absinthe. <laughs> oh, that's all I can do. <laughs> yeah, you need obstacles, you're right, to create that naivety. And mm. the timer, we're always going on about the timer, but setting mm. yourself a time limit does help. A timer, it's really good to set the timer and do a whole load of drawings that are for nothing, for no reason. Set the timer, do 10, 30 second drawings or something, and that's it. Your brain switched into playful mode and you're yeah. ready to go in that nice, loose... You've got all yeah. the rubbish out of the way. You're you're messing about now. It's like mindset, isn't it? Yeah. And you can feel it because you start enjoying yourself. Yeah. And you're not like, oh my god, yeah. I'm gonna do this finally. Yeah. So it's probably about having some cheap art materials, loads of supplies of paper, so preciousness isn't an issue. Yeah. Um, and I know that a lot of illustrators loathe to say, but Marion again showed me how she worked on her um, uh, Bob the Crow books. Uh, and it's you know, it's a simple ink drawn character, but there's loads of sheets of paper with Bob's body, head, arms, legs, whole body, so that if there's loads of them, you can just cut them up and put them together in Photoshop, mm. so that you don't say to yourself, right, I'm going for the final art right now. We've got three hours to try and bash this out. Just do loads of the same thing and pick the best one. And <coughs> that way, you're giving yourself lots of options. Yeah. But then it, that's you can't really say that if the work that you do is more like Angela Barrett. Yeah. How do you think someone who's... She still keeps freshness, even though it's watercolour and it's layer on layer on layer, she still keeps some area where the white paper really shines through. She's got such a light touch. I bet she's having fun. <coughs> She'd be enjoying herself. Yeah, going back to someone like Angela Barrett, whose work is quite refined and um, meticulous, that's not going to be done in three, in you know 20 minutes or, or even three hours. It'll be days, probably days, I imagine. Which she absolutely knows to keep that white paper shining through in some parts of the painting. She's still carefully judging what would be too much, isn't she? I bet she has a word with herself. I bet she does. <laughs> Quite often. Yeah. Well, do you think she has a safe word <laughs> yeah. when she's overworking it? She would have 
Come on, Angela. <laughs> Step away. <laughs> yeah, so I think this thing about staying loose or staying fresh isn't a judgment on making work that looks like it's quickly drawn with a brush. It's more than... It, it, this covers work that takes you days and days to work and looks very finished and detailed. That work needs a touch, a really light touch as well so that you don't end up making it stodgy. Yeah. yeah. We probably need to get someone on who works like that, who's mm. prepared to talk about how you balance mm. a long piece of work and still keep the life in it. That's a lot of self-knowledge, isn't it? Yeah. Too? That'd be fascinating as well, because I think people assume, because we talk about using a timer, working quickly, keeping it loose, that we just think the only good work is really fast, loose, wobbly work. But it's not, not mm. at all the case. It's just, it just so happens that's a really effective way of keeping the life in something. It's really good, isn't it? If, you, if you've not drawn for a long time, those ways, that the, what the good ship talk about a lot, which is the stuff we do at Art Club, the quick time drawings. It's a really good warm up for making other types of work. It's a really good way of getting back into drawing if you've had a break from it for a while. Oh. It's not a judgment as in this is the only kind of work you should be making. It's just it's very, very useful to get into all sorts of other ways of working. Yeah. Well, I'm representing the long-laboured work for, for good shit. <laughs> Look at those maps. I can't believe I do those things because I liked quick stuff, I thought. I like to work in a spontaneous way. But now sometimes I look at the maps and I think, did I make those? That's really weird. That's, that's not what I thought I would do. But be, being digital, you can take things out and remove things when they get too heavy and they're about to topple over because they're too laboured. Thinking, I don't know how you do it with traditional analogue media. But yeah, there's something enjoyable when you know you've got it at just you've got it before it's about to topple over under the strain yeah, of its own it, weight. So like having the confidence to go, does it look generally all right now? Yeah, it does. Right, I'm going to stop yeah. because if you carry on past that point of, of actually when you give, I have a quick glance at it. Yeah, it looks great. If you carry on, you can really kill it. It's like confidence to mm. stop just before it's ready. Isn't yeah. It? Mm. And if you make enough work like that, you'll know what that point is. I, th I think it's really difficult when you've just started and you don't know where your parameters are. Should you go a lot further? Is this enough? And the yeah, only way you through think, it is I'm just going to add this bit. It just needs this. And then before you know it, you've like mm. smudged the whole thing. Like it's just full of everything that doesn't need to. When I used to paint, when I was a painter, I would often do that. I do it less now. As maybe Obviously, it's experience and time, but I'm sure... Being digital helped because you can unpick and remove chunks. And, I feel like yeah. that was A-level art for me. It was just overworking everything. <laughs> well, you're but supposed it, to. You're incentiv incentivised yeah. to overwork. I mean, at school, it was very much like, for your exam, it was like eight hours on your, spend eight hours on your work. And that's it, so long. Yeah. <laughs> so by the end of the eight hours, you're exhausted. Your work's totally over overworked. Overworked and not even good anymore. <laughs> Maybe good at like hour two and a half. Yeah, but now we're spending all that time attempting to unpick everything we were taught about what makes yeah. a good drawing. I really remember doing uh, A-level, being at, <clears throat> uh, I went to a sixth form college to do my A-levels, and I can remember one, tutor, one teacher saying to me, Helen, you work too quickly, you have to slow down. And the other teacher disagreeing, and they had a row while I just sat there in silence. <laughs> <laughs> that's life. <laughs> the whole, that's like everyone's creative brain. <laughs> that's basically like take an illustrator attending their child's um, parent teacher with the art teacher. I'm surprised there's not blood on the floor. Yeah. Because most creative people are in complete contrast to the you know school, where we've just described GCSE and A level 
art seems to be designed to make you as uncreative as possible. Squeeze it out of you. Mm. Like every sketchbook page has got to be complete and finished. And so many kids are taught that, that halfway through degree, it's really hard to get them to understand this is not what a sketchbook's for. This is for working out all the problems. No one will see it. Mm. And it's only for, for your brain to make associations and progress through it. It's not to make lovely pictures in a sketchbook. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be in a sketchbook. If you've got like trauma from sketchbooks at school, you can use loose sheets of paper and just kind of keep them together. Yeah, and if you make enough work, one of those will be the final will be the final piece, even if it's on photocopy photocopy paper. Yeah. If that's scanned and printed well in a magazine, it doesn't matter that it's not on um Arsh's watercolour paper. Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of worry about that is that when you're being paid to do an illustration you have to use Best professional material. materials. But often the best materials are not professional materials. No. I used to get Mary's watercolours when I was a teenager and they were little tiny tubes of paint, really, really cheap in the cheap shop in Darlington. But the pigments in them were amazing. They were brilliant. I've still got paintings now that I did with those. Mm. And they're totally publishable. You don't have to use the best paper. It can be, it can, it can be scary, can't it? To use a piece of expensive paper. Oh, yeah. And the same digitally, it's, you know, memory. If I go, all right, let's make it at full size, 330 DPI. Here we go, roll up your sleeves. Um, oh, no, this is the final artwork. <laughs> it's that was those words again. <laughs> final artwork, there's nothing more scary. And it's already 30 megabytes and you haven't even put a mark on it. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. And uh, that mindset is an absolute replication of pulling out your best watercolour paper and your best pigments and going, right, let's begin. You've got to trick yourself into doing this stuff. Mm. Anything you can do to reduce the pressure in your brain. Yeah, draw on your bed. Yeah, Like if your desk is, is giving you palpitations, do it on your sofa or on your bed. Or at a weird time of day when you sort of... Yeah, not catch yet. yourself off guard. Yeah. Work in your pyjamas. Dance like nobody's watching. <laughs> put, put your favourite music on really, really loud so you're just yeah, yeah. too busy enjoying the music to like think about how this drawing is going to go wrong. I often think about how if I'm about to draw something and it might be a difficult posture, I, will, I won't I will think about how the human body works and what the posture is. I think, how does it feel to make that? And I draw it as fast as I can while feeling what it would feel to move like that. And I often get a way better drawing like that than thinking, now, where would the arm be? Where would the leg be? For me, often it's about the feeling and yeah. trying to remember the feeling as I'm drawing and not worrying about the final outcome. Yeah, standing in the pose, is it? Taking the pose or running. Mm. Making the face. Yeah, yeah. totally yeah. making the face does it. Yeah. And sticks, sticks and ink. Yeah. Wobbly I mean, materials, wobbly paper. Yeah. Yeah. Every time you do stick um, stick drawing at Art Club and I join in, I always make drawings I like. There's yeah. something about the stick drawing makes you happy. It's the unpredictable, yeah. lovely, wobbly, juicy lines. Mm. They're so graphic, aren't they? Yeah. I think that might be every single bit of advice we've ever had about <laughs> trying to keep the energy in your all thrown into a giant pillowcase. I hope someone was taking notes. <laughs> 30 minutes of <laughs> solid advice. <laughs> so, I think we're finished. We're we? finished, yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you've got a message in a bottle, you can send it to us. It's goodshipillow at gmail.com. Or if you want to learn more about The Good Ship, you can go to thegoodshipillustration.com. Um, and we're on Instagram as well, at the Good Ship Illustration. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Bye.